Section 34 of Egypt, Africa, and Arabia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dave Lance. The World Story, Volume 3, Egypt, Africa, and Arabia. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 34. Why Phanes Was Exiled. By Georg Ebers. The doors of the supper-room now flew open. Two lovely fair-haired boys, holding myrtle-wreaths, stood on each side of the entrance, and in the middle of the room was a large, low, brilliantly polished table, surrounded by inviting purple cushions. Rich nosegays adorned this table, and on it were placed large joints of roast meat, glasses and dishes of various shapes, filled with dates, figs, pomegranates, melons, and grapes, little silver beehives containing honey, and plates of embossed copper, on which lay delicate cheese from the island of Trinacria. In the midst was a silver table ornament, something similar to an altar, from which arose fragrant clouds of incense. At the extreme end of the table stood the glittering silver cup in which the wine was to be mixed. This was a beautiful Iginetan workmanship, its crooked handles representing two giants, who appeared ready to sink under the weight of the bowl which they sustained. Like the altar, it was enwreathed with flowers, and a garland of roses or myrtle had been twined around the goblet of each guest. The entire floor was strewed with rose leaves, and the room was lighted by many lamps which were hung against the smooth, white stucco walls. No sooner were the guests reclining on their cushions than the fair-haired boys reappeared, wound garlands of ivy and myrtle around the heads and shoulders of the revelers, and washed their feet in silver basins. The Sybarite, though already scented with all the perfumes of Arabia, would not rest until he was completely enveloped in roses and myrtle, and continued to occupy the two boys even after the carver had removed the first joints from the table in order to cut them up but as soon as the first course funny fish with mustard sauce had been served he forgot all subordinate matters and became absorbed in the enjoyment of the delicious viands rhodopus seated on a chair at the head of the table near the wine bowl not only led the conversation but gave directions to the slaves in waiting she gazed on her cheerful guests with a kind of pride and seemed to be devoting her attention to each exclusively now asking the delphian how he had succeeded in his mission then the sybarite whether he was content with the performances of her cook and then listening eagerly to ibicus as he told how the athenian phrynicus had introduced the religious dramas of thespis of icaria into common life and was now representing entire histories from the past by means of choruses, recitative, and answer. Then she turned to the Spartan, remarking that to him alone of all her guests, instead of an apology for the simplicity of the meal, she felt she owed one for its luxury. The next time he came, her slave, Canachius, who, as an escaped helot, boasted that he could cook a delicious blood soup, here the Sybarite shuddered, should prepare him a true Lacedaemonian repast. When the guests had eaten sufficiently, they again washed their hands. The plates and dishes were removed, the floor cleansed, and wine and water poured into the bowl. At last, when Rhodopis had convinced herself that the right moment had come, 
she turned to Phanes, who was engaged in a discussion with the Milesians, and thus addressed him. Noble friend, we have restrained our impatience so long that it must surely now be your duty to tell us what evil chance is threatening to snatch you from Egypt and from our circle. You may be able to leave us in this country with a light heart, for the gods are wont to bless you Ionians with that precious gift from your very birth. But we shall remember you long and sadly. I know of no worse loss than that a friend tried through years. Indeed, some of us have lived too long on the Nile not to have imbibed a little of the constant, unchanging Egyptian temperament. You smile, and yet I feel sure that, long as you have desired to revisit your dear Hellas, you will not be able to leave us quite without regret. Ah, you admit this? Well, I knew I had not been deceived. But now, tell us why you are obliged to leave Egypt, that we may consider whether it may not be possible to get the king's decree reversed, and so keep you with us. Phanes smiled bitterly and replied, Many thanks, Rhodopus, for these flattering words, and for the kind intention either to grieve over my departure, or, if possible, to prevent it. A hundred new faces will soon help you to forget mine, for, long as you have lived on the Nile, you are still a Greek from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot, and may thank the gods that you have remained so. I am a great friend of constancy, too, but quite as great an enemy of folly. And is there one among you who would not call it folly to fret over what cannot be undone? I cannot call the Egyptian constancy a virtue. It is a delusion. The men who treasure their dead for thousands of years, and would rather lose their last loaf than allow a single bone belonging to one of their ancestors to be taken from them, are not constant, they are foolish. Can it possibly make me happy to see my friends sad? Certainly not. You must not imitate the Egyptians, who, when they lose a friend, spend months in daily repeated lamentations over him. On the contrary, if you will sometimes think of the distant, I ought to say, of the departed friend, for as long as I live I shall never be permitted to tread Egyptian ground again, let it be with smiling faces. Do not cry, Ah, why was Phanes forced to leave us? But rather, let us be merry as Phanes used to be when he made one of our circle. In this way you must celebrate my departure, as Simonides enjoined when he sang, If we would only be more truly wise, we would not waste on death our tears and sighs, nor stand and mourn o'er cold and lifeless clay more than one day. For death, alas, we have no lack of time, but life is gone when scarcely at its prime. And is e'en, when not overfilled with care, but short and bare. If we are not to weep for the dead, how much less ought we to grieve for absent friends? The former have left us forever. But to the latter we say at parting, farewell, until we meet again. Here the Sybarite, who had been gradually becoming more and more impatient, could not keep silent any longer, and called out in the most woebegone tone, Will you never begin your story, you malicious fellow? I cannot drink a single drop until you leave off talking about death. I feel cold already, and I am always ill if I only think of, nay, if I only hear the subject mentioned that this life cannot last forever. The whole company burst into a laugh, and Phanes began to tell his story. You know that at Sias I always live in the new palace, but at Memphis, as commander of the Greek bodyguard, which must accompany the king everywhere, 
a lodging was assigned to me in the left wing of the old palace since Pesomtic the first sias has always been the royal residence and the other palaces have in consequence become somewhat neglected my dwelling was really splendidly situated and beautifully furnished it would have been first-rate if from the first moment of my entrance a fearful annoyance had not made its appearance in the daytime when i was seldom at home my rooms were all that could be wished but at night it was impossible to sleep for the tremendous noise made by thousands of rats and mice under the old floors and couches and behind the hangings even in the first night an impudent mouse ran over my face i was quite at a loss what to do till an egyptian soldier sold me two large cats and these in the course of many weeks procured me some rest from my tormentors now you are probably all aware that one of the charming laws of this most eccentric nation whose culture and wisdom you my milesian friends cannot sufficiently praise declares the cat to be a sacred animal Divine honors are paid to these fortunate quadrupeds, as well as to many other animals, and he who kills a cat is punished with the same severity as the murderer of a human being. Till now Rhodopis had been smiling, but when she perceived that Phanes' banishment had to do with his contempt for the sacred animals, her face became more serious. She knew how many victims, how many human lives, had already been sacrificed to this Egyptian superstition and how only a short time before the king amasis himself had endeavored in vain to rescue an unfortunate samian who had killed a cat from the vengeance of the enraged populace footnote the cat was probably the most sacred of all the animals worshipped by the egyptians while others were deified only in particular districts the cat was an object of adoration to all the subjects of the pharaohs herodotus two sixty six tells us when a house was on fire the egyptians never thought of extinguishing the fire until their cats were all saved and that when a cat died they shaved their heads in sign of mourning whoever killed one of these animals whether intentionally or by accident suffered the penalty of death without any chance of mercy diodorus 181 himself witnessed the murder of a roman citizen who had killed a cat by the egyptian people and this in spite of the authorities who in fear of the powerful romans endeavored to prevent the deed the bodies of the cats were carefully embalmed and buried and their mummies are to be found in every museum the embalmed cat carefully wrapped in linen bandages is oftener to be met with than any other of the many animals thus preserved by the egyptians End of footnote everything was going well continued the officer when we left memphis two years ago i confided my pair of cats to the care of one of the egyptian servants at the palace feeling sure that these enemies of the rats would keep my dwelling clear for the future indeed i began to feel a certain veneration for my deliverers from the plague of mice last year amasis fell ill before the court could adjourn to memphis and we remained at sias at last about six weeks ago we set out for the city of the pyramids i betook me to my old quarters not the shadow of a mouse's tail was to be seen there but instead they swarmed with another race of animals not one whit dearer to me than their predecessors the pair of cats had during my two years absence increased twelvefold 
I tried all in my power to dislodge this burdensome brood of all ages and colors, but in vain. Every night my sleep was disturbed by horrible choruses of four-footed animals and feline war cries and songs. Every year, at the period of the Bubastis festival, all superfluous cats may be brought to the temple of the cat-headed goddess Pacht, where they are fed and cared for, or, as I believe, when they multiply too fast, quietly put out of the way. These priests are knaves. Unfortunately, the journey to the said temple did not occur during the time of our stay in Memphis. However, as I really could not tolerate this army of tormentors any longer, I determined at least to get rid of two families of healthy kittens with which their mothers had just presented me. My old slave, Miss, from his very name and natural enemy of the cats, was told to kill the little creature, put them into a sack, and throw them into the Nile. This murder was necessary, as the mewing of the kittens would otherwise have betrayed the contents of the sack to the palace warders. In the twilight, poor Moose betook himself to the Nile, through the grove of Hathor, with his perilous burden. But alas, the Egyptian attendant, who was in the habit of feeding my cats, had noticed that two families of kittens were missing, and had seen through the whole plan. My slave took his way composedly through the great avenue of the Sphinx, and by the temple of Ptah, holding the little bag concealed under his mantle. Already in the sacred grove he noticed that he was being followed, but on seeing that the men behind him stopped before the temple of Ptah and entered into conversation with the priests, he felt perfectly reassured and went on. He had already reached the bank of the Nile when he heard voices calling him, and a number of people running toward him in haste. At the same moment a stone whistled close by his head. Miss at once perceived the danger which was threatening him. Summoning all his strength, he rushed down to the Nile, flung the bag in, and then with a beating heart, but as he imagined, without the slightest evidence of guilt, remained standing on the shore. A few moments later he was surrounded by at least a hundred priests. Even the high priest of Ptah, my old enemy Ptahhotep, had not disdained to follow the pursuers in person. Many of the latter, and among them the perfidious palace servant, rushed at once into the Nile, and there, to our confusion, found the bag with its twelve little corpses, hanging entirely uninjured among the papyrus reeds and bean tendrils. The cotton coffin was opened before the eyes of the high priest, a troop of lower priests, and at least a thousand of the inhabitants in Memphis, who had hurried to the spot, and when the miserable contents were disclosed, there arose such fearful howls of anguish and such horrible cries of mingled lamentation and revenge that I heard them even in the palace. The furious multitude, in their wild rage, fell on my poor servant, threw him down, trampled on him, and would have killed him, had not the all-powerful high priest, designing to involve me as the author of the crime, in the same ruin, commanded them to cease and take the wretched malefactor to prison. Half an hour later, I was in prison, too. My old miss took all the guilt of the crime on himself, until at last, by means of the bastinado, the high priest forced him to confess that I had ordered the killing of the kittens, and that he, as a faithful servant, had not dared to disobey. The Supreme Court of Justice, whose decisions the king himself has no power to reverse, is composed of priests from Memphis, Heliopolis, and Thebes.
you can therefore easily believe that they had no scruple in pronouncing sentence of death on poor Mus and my own unworthy greek self the slave was pronounced guilty of two capital offences first of the murder of the sacred animals and secondly of a twelvefold pollution of the nile through dead bodies i was condemned as originator of this as they termed it four and twentyfold crime mus was executed on the same day may the earth rest lightly on him i shall never think of him again as my slave but as a friend and benefactor my sentence of death was read aloud in the presence of his dead body and i was already preparing for a long journey into the netherworld when the king sent and commanded a reprieve i was taken back to prison one of my guards an arcadian taxiarch told me all the officers of the guard and many of the soldiers altogether four thousand men had threatened to send in their resignation unless i their commander were pardoned as it was beginning to grow dusk i was taken to the king he received me graciously confirmed the taxiarch's statement with his own mouth and said how grieved he should be to lose a commander so generally beloved i must confess that i owe amasis no grudge for his conduct to me on the contrary i pity him you should have heard how he the powerful king complained that he could never act according to his own wishes that even in his most private affairs he was crossed and compromised by the priests and their influence had it only depended on himself he could easily have pardoned the transgression of law which i as a foreigner could not be expected to understand and might though unjustly esteem as a foolish superstition but for the sake of the priests he dared not leave me unpunished the lightest penalty he could inflict must be banishment from egypt he concluded his complaint with these words you little know what concessions i must make to the priests in order to obtain your pardon why our supreme court of justice is independent even of me its king and thus i received my dismissal after having taken a solemn oath to leave memphis that very day and egypt at latest in three weeks end of section thirty four this recording is in the public domain